0: Second level, busting it to the far side, 20 by 20 15-10, 5-9, touchdown! Gives to Nick, open three, takes it, makes it to Nick every Rolls it past the defender, gets into the 18,
1: shoots and near post, score. Avery Walker! This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. And now, here's Greg Rubel. Good evening, Cougar
0: Nation. Welcome into another weekly edition of Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel. If you're listening live tonight, it's great to have you tuning in on BYU Radio, Sirius XM 143, byuradio.org, and the BYU Radio app. If you're listening later, thanks for downloading or podcasting us on our Behind the Mic show page at byuradio.org. Every week on this program... We learn more about the lives and personalities of Cougars past and present each week. I'll interview current or former Cougars, players, coaches, and administrators, relive some memories, and hopefully I'll give you a deeper glimpse into what makes all these people who they are. And tonight, it's a record-setting running back edition of Behind the Mic, featuring two former Cougar backs who set the career-rushing yardage records at BYU back-to-back, Curtis Brown, and Harvey Unga. My conversation with Curtis coming up at the bottom of the hour. But we kick off tonight's show by chatting with the guy who broke Curtis's career rushing record and remains a Cougar today, serving as a graduate assistant coach working on, with the offense for head coach Kalani Sitake. After a state championship won as a player at View High School, Harvey Unga started his Cougar career in 2006. A hip injury cut his freshman season short, so in 2007 he returned as a redshirt freshman and in his season debut against Arizona, rolled up almost 200 yards rushing and receiving and scored twice as BYU got the win over the Wildcats. It was just the beginning for Harvey, who would go on to win Conference Freshman of the Year and Freshman All-America honors in racking up 1,000-plus rushing yards in that freshman season. He would do it again as a sophomore and as a junior, becoming the first and still only BYU player to rush for 1,000 or more yards in three seasons and three straight seasons. He left BYU as the school's career leader in rushing yards, rushing attempts, 100-yard rushing games, was second in rushing touchdowns. He and Curtis Brown are the only BYU players and two of very few in college all-time to accumulate three thousand plus rushing yards and one thousand plus receiving yards, and Harvey Unga joins me now behind the mic. Harvey, thanks for coming in.
2: Appreciate it. Thanks, great. Thanks for having me. There,
0: there have been a number of Ungas who suited up uh, for BYU, but uh, one of the first, if not the first, was your dad Jackson. Tell me a bit about, if you don't mind, uh, your dad's BYU ties and the family ties to the school.
2: Yeah, there's been a, quite a bit of uh, Ungas that have came through uh, BYU, but dad, dad was a fullback kind of a short career with a, a knee injury and um after after football didn't work out just he, he ended up playing rugby and, and kind of did his own thing in rugby but after he was here i mean i i had uh opp- the opportunity to come here and play my younger brother also came and, and played uh here as well one of my other cousins wani uh you know was a, a former linebacker mm-hmm. here um and then now morgan uh, another linebacker uh is in the program as cousin. well. And, yeah, another cousin. Yep. Um so there's yeah, there's been quite a bit of us that uh have been able to uh put the Y on our helmet and, and uh, get out there and, and play in the Will Edwards. So.
0: Are there other extended relations without the Unga surname who've uh, who've played here at BYU that are also related to you?
2: There's there's actually been a couple. Kesney Talsinga okay. uh, is related on my mom's side. Harvey Longy actually um his uh our, our grandparents are siblings. Yeah, my grandmother and his uh, grandfather are brother and sister. And a lot of people don't know, uh, but he he was actually named after my dad. Uh, my dad's name is Harvey. And uh, all the boys in our family go by our middle names. Jackson, that's that's what dad went by. Um, but Harvey's his middle name, and Harvey's my middle name. And Harvey Longy um, got it from your dad. Yeah, okay. his, uh, his pops had, had called my dad and um, asked him if he could use the name Harvey. It's uh, Javea is his Actual name. Yeah, I went with Harvey, so I'm sure there's going to be a couple that are going to text me or call me that I'm forgetting. <laughs> but Suffice gonna... to say, the tree stretches pretty pretty wide here. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're, they're teammates that i played with, with Fui and Manasseh that are, you know, relatives as well. But, yeah, I mean, there's quite a long list, so. Were, were you born and raised in Provo? No, I was born in Hawaii. Uh, born in Kahuku, and then we moved to California, and then California uh, to Utah.
0: So when when did Utah start becoming home for you? And what do you remember of your days in in Hawaii in California then?
2: Hawaii, we, I was young. I was really young. We moved uh, from Hawaii when I was four, and then, and then um, into California whereabouts? San Bernardino County. Um, we were there for about three years, uh, and then moved out to Utah and have have been here since.
0: So most of your childhood memories are basically of Utah. Utah. Yeah, yeah,
2: definitely Utah. I, we we grew up in Orem, um, pretty much. Uh, just in a, a small duplex out there, went to Sharon Elementary and from there my uh my family uh we got a place in Provo in middle school, uh middle school to high school. I we've been in Provo ever since so
0: how would you describe your, your growing up time?
2: It was tough. I mean both mom and dad worked and so my uh my older sister and younger brother we we kinda took it on ourselves to raise each other and, and help each other out and, and kinda um I mean the summers we didn't have you know nearly what kids have now as far as the uh technology and games and stuff and we couldn't afford you know the the game systems back then so i was outside every single day trying to figure out a way to to stay busy and you know my my younger brother and my sister and i were we were either riding bikes every day or rollerblading or finding some random sport to do or yeah i mean it it, it was fun it was outside doing hands on type stuff and um in the evenings We're back home and hanging out with mom and dad and wouldn't trade it for the world. You know, there were some hardships that we had gone through. And um, I think it's kind of helped me, uh, I guess, transform uh, myself into who who I am and who I'm trying to become. And um, it's, I mean, the the things that I I had gone through as as a kid definitely helped me out, Um, just kind of become the person that I am today. So, at what
0: point in your life did you sense that uh, that sports or athletics was something more than just staying busy or or something to do outside and something you could actually be really good at? And then when did you start gravitating toward toward football?
2: Um, probably sixth grade. Um, I, I didn't play tackle football until um, sixth grade. Um, but th- there was a there was a time period. Um, I think that kind of really, I guess, set everything off for me. Um, and not, not a lot of people know this, but my parents were building house, um, while we were living in Orem and we were, um, we, you know, we were trying to just live within our means and, and save up as much as we could. Uh, in the meanwhile, trying to build this house and, um, my, uh, my dad had, uh, hired on, uh, one of my uncles to, um, to build the house and contracted it to him and long story short, he, uh took off with uh, a ton of the money and the skeleton of our house. We just had the, uh, pretty much the, the frame of it, um, built. Um, we, I mean, that just kind of, that set us back a ton. I remember I I was young. I was, uh, I was about fourth grade, fourth, fifth grade, going in fifth. Um, I remember thinking, you know, we, uh, we didn't have as much as we had before and that there was a point in time where, um, we had to um we were going to smiths and we would we would go to the back of smiths uh we had found out from different ward members that they would get rid of their produce and old food and stuff for the day that they weren't going to use again um from the I guess the the fried chicken to the potato wedges to the salads and stuff that they weren't going to use. And they would just let people come and take whatever they wanted. And being a young kid, going there, you know, taking the stuff that we needed and, and um, whatnot, I thought this was awesome. I was like, man, this is great. You know, we're we're getting this, you know, great food and stuff for free. And it didn't dawn on me until I about a year later of doing this because we were trying to we were trying to build the house out of mom and dad's pockets from that point um it didn't realize what i was doing and i remember i uh man i just started crying and i yeah. Uh, this was this was in sixth grade. I remember just crying to my dad, and I was like, "Dad, I know why we're doing this." And he, uh... I remember he just kept telling me, "Like, son, he's like, this is why I always tell you to work hard in school. And if you really want to play football or basketball or whatever it is, you work your hardest, and I promise you, you'll be successful." Um. And I mean, he after that he kind of went on and and preached a little sermon to me, you know, just said, "Hey, trust the Lord, and and do what you are supposed to do, and you know, you you study hard and you you practice and you play hard." And from that moment on, it was um that was when I decided, you know, I am gonna I am gonna do everything I can, you know, what whatever it is in school, in basketball, football, track um, soccer, rugby, whatever I was going to, I'm going to be the best at whatever I did. And that really helped me, um, anytime that I I needed motivation. I mean, there's Smiths on every block in Provo and Orem and I'm driving by Smiths and I never felt so much anger and frustration in my life, but it kind of helped me, you know, I, I use that as fuel and as motivation. So every time I would drive by a Smith, I'm like, all right, I'm never going back to, you know, I'm, if I do, I'm going to the front of the Smith's and I'm going to make sure, you know, I work my butt off so my kids, you know, never have to go through this. And my, you know, my family and everybody, they don't have to ever have this feeling again. Um, and it's it. And, and I hope, you know, it's not a knock on my parents because my parents worked their butt off and, and they did the best they could to, you know take care of me and my siblings and whatnot but um it was just for me that was when I kind of decided like yeah this is this feeling that I have I never want to go through this again so I'm going to make sure I I work my butt off and um from then on I think sixth grade I just (laughs) you know I tried my best to do whatever I could to just I guess outbeat whoever I was you know playing against or doing whatnot um whether it was tic-tac-toe or, um, you know, thumb war or something. I just, you know, I, I kind of gained that competitive nature and, and used that feeling. So
0: with that life experience uh, instilling you an inspiration to, to be your best and do your best, did it also light a spark relative to athletics in that maybe that could be something that becomes a livelihood for you as well, like, like you could build a career out of, uh, out of that?
2: Yeah, to be honest. I, I uh I I had goals and aspirations and I wanted to make it to, you know, the top level, whatever sport I was doing. Um but I, I think um in high school it, it kind of uh dawned on me that um as much as I love playing the game of football and, and even basketball and whatnot, there there was more of an enjoyment in coaching it. And from then, I realized, like, man, I love coaching. This is what I want to do. This is who I am. And it was uh, freshman year here uh BYU. I, I came in, and, and Coach Reynolds, my running back coach, pulled me in and was like, hey, you know, what's your plans? And, and uh, Coach Mendenhall did the same thing, too, with kind of our exit interviews after the season. You know, what's, what's your plan? What's your game plan? And um, I told them both I want to coach. Like, uh, you know, who knows if I'm going to make it to the NFL? Um, I, I, you know— I've always had that goal and that aspiration and thought, but the reality of it is there's one or 2% that make it, you know, out of the hundred. And, and so from then I just, you know, I, I've always, like I said, I, I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to coach. I wanted to teach. I wanted to help, um, you know, young men, I guess one, fulfill their potential athletically on the field, but at the same time, um, there, there's a, a a feeling that you get when you're not just helping them with football. It's, it's helping them in the classroom or helping them, um, even with dating or helping them, you know, just with their everyday life and, and to see the success, um, in, in these young men, to me, that was like one of the most gratifying things and that's kind of what got me to where I'm at. And, um, it's, I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm here now and mm-hmm. doing something that I love and I'm passionate about and, Hopefully I can you know continue on and, and take Kalani's job someday.
0: <laughs> we are talking with record-setting BYU running back Harvey Unga. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Harvey Unga did make it to the NFL. We'll talk about the life at BYU and beyond as we continue. This is Behind the Mic. More is coming up after this. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Grubell, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Welcome back to Behind the Mic. It's a running
0: back night here as a BYU football training camp is underway. The season opener at Arizona coming up on September 1st, right here on BYU Radio. Harvey Unga and Curtis Brown, tonight's guest, both of whom set running back, rushing records at BYU. We were chatting with Harvey, and uh, before the break, we talked about uh, growing up here in Utah County and ultimately making it to BYU and, and then beyond, yes. Uh, how do you look back on your career at, uh, at BYU, which began in 2006, injury cut that first season short, but 2007, 2008, 2009, uh, full of great memories, a lot of yards, a lot of wins. Uh, when you look back on your time here at BYU as a player, uh, what are the most prominent impressions uh, that you're left with?
2: Man, there's <laughs> there's quite a bit. I think one one of the uh, one of the ones that stands out the most, and it, it, I guess it kind of starts off my timeline here. Um, and and I, I don't think many many people know either. I feel like I'm just like just sharing this deep secret about <laughs> in this uh, this section. Um, it, the the 2006 season, like you said, I, I broke my hip and. Um, Man, that that was taxing, uh, and one of the things that that, like I said, not a lot of people know was, um, I was gonna quit playing football. Um, I, I talked to Coach Reynolds um, after all was said and done, and I I just, I told him I was like, hey, Coach, I I don't know if you know football is gonna work out, and, and you know, I told you I wanted to coach, and if if uh, if I can, you know, stay on and and help and coach and do something like that, I I really appreciate it. And I'll never forget he uh he 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 just started laughing, and i'm a i am I was in there you know <laughs> pouring my heart out, and I'm you know about the ball because I'm gonna quit football and, and you know i'm gonna stop doing something that I love, and he just he starts laughing and he says, "Hey, freshman, just slow down, you know, take some deep breaths, and uh he's like we'll we'll take this one day at a time, and um i'm just i'm I'm grateful for coach Reynolds and and just his uh, his mentorship and his leadership and, and um the way he you know kind of walked me through the injury process um that's something that that is real and and mentally man that's harder than anything it's it's tough and um that that really kind of one, one of the first things i'll I'll never forget and i always remember um was uh just the way that that coach reynolds um one cared for me as a person uh and and also, you know, helped me through some really tough times and struggles. But, uh, from then, I mean, the the year after the opening game, Arizona, mm-hmm. man, one of the craziest feelings I've ever had. I, uh, I mean, I, I had been able to run out of the tunnel, you know, previously, but to go out and actually run out of the tunnel and, and know that I'm going to, I'm going to be on the field. I'm the guy like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to take the load on offense. Uh, that was one of the, the coolest feelings in the world, um, just to go out there and, and, you know, it was a sellout game. Um, I, I guess I was the the guy that most people forgot, um, just because you know coming off the injury and everything. Um, but then to go out and, and just. Play my guts out and do you know the best that I could possibly do and, and come away with a win, uh, and, and a win against a, a good Arizona team. Man, that was it was sweet. We that hope was...
0: history repeats itself with a season-opening <laughs> win over Arizona here in a few yeah. weeks. But I remember you 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 mentioned Lance and I remember Coach Reynolds telling me before the 2000s, I think it was in training camp, just how good and how great you were going to be. And he also kind of acknowledged that he's a little bit under the radar because of what happened last year. But you watch this guy. He's going to be something special. (laughs) Arizona got it all going. And I remember, too, again, different games kind of pop up. The next week, we go to UCLA. Now, it's it's a game we lost, 27-17. But what I remember most about that game was Max Hall, and this is now his second game, I think, as the starting quarterback at BYU, yeah. right? And yeah. just game two, he got beat up in that game. I mean, they got after him, and he made play after play, got up, got up again. And it was a loss, but I felt even in that loss, we saw a lot of things. And and Max was one of them, and and, and there was you, and there was Dennis, and there's Austin. I mean, yeah. that core became one of the most prolific offensive cores we've ever had. At, uh, at at BYU, and what did you get the sense of just early in that season, whether it's that game, the UCLA game, Arizona, of, of how good you guys could be moving forward?
2: I had the most confidence in, in those guys. And and it wasn't just, I mean, Dennis was, you know, new to the scene, you know, hadn't, hadn't really played much. Max, obviously, new to the scene. I was new to the scene. Um, Fui was, was kind of our veteran guy. Manasa was our veteran guy who had plays under their belt. Um, but uh in reality the the o line i'm trying to think, i think 4 out of the 5 went to the nfl so there, i had all the confidence in the world in these guys and i knew what we were capable of and unfortunately against ucla we uh everything was going against us you know i think there there were there were so many bogus penalties that that were called against us and like reliving it now i'm like you get frustrated cuz there were things that happened that they shouldn't have happened but there there never once was a doubt in our mind how good we could be and how good we were going to be um, and i think a lot of it stems from the old line Th- those guys um they they brought a confidence to the team that was unreal they um they they knew that they could go out against any opponent and that they would dominate
0: you left BYU after your redshirt junior season and put yourself in the 2010 uh, 2010- supplemental NFL draft, and that's where the the Bears picked you up. You had multiple stints with the Bears over your NFL career. Favorite NFL memory of your time in the league, and how do you describe to somebody the in-and-out nature, the up-and-down nature of your tenure as a pro over those seasons?
2: Oh, man, that's um, I, I think the best memory was my rookie year. Uh, I'm, I'm walking into Hallis Hall, and it's, it's a day, I'm walking in on a day off, um, I'm supposed to go meet with some of the trainers in there and in order to get to the training room you have to walk through the weight room. I walk through the weight room and huge bald guy is lifting in there um, and it, it's Brian Erlacher. So I'm, walk, I'm walking through and I hear Harvey <laughs> and I know he's the only one lifting so I, I just put my head down and walk straight to the training room and I hear Harvey and I look back and, and Brian Urlacher is looking at me and He's like you, are Harvey, right? Like, yeah. He's like, hey, I uh, just want to introduce myself. I'm like, yeah, you're Brian Urlacher. <laughs> I know. Don't worry. I'm like, you have to introduce yourself. And he's like, well, um, he's like, I uh, I know you're you're one of Broncos guys, and uh, Broncos a good friend of mine. So I, you know, I just wanted to let you know if you need anything, uh, you, you know, give me a call. And we exchanged numbers, and um, that, to me, that was like. I know something dumb, and I probably sound like a little kid, but it was one of the most humbling things that I've ever experienced. You know, a guy, a hall of famer like the, like the Brian would, uh, um, you know, tr- treat me like his own, treat me like another teammate that's been on the team, like another vet, and
0: it's a pretty cool validation. Yeah, yeah. like it yeah. was,
2: it was really cool, and and um, I'll never forget that. And it made me, it made me just want to be a, a better teammate, a better person, and and you know it's it's something and it's something small that he had done but th- those little things they, they go a long way. Playing the game and everything was fun and, and you know hitting linebackers and, and whatnot and running the ball and catching the ball and doing all that stuff is fun but it's, it's crazy but that to me that's that was easily the the highlight hmm. for me. Then you have the, the other side the the rough side and the business uh, of the NFL—it sucks. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> That's one of the worst things in the world. And and, and it's funny because you hear guys come back and say the NFL is not what you think it is. In our minds, as players, we're like, no, man, it can't be that bad. It's it's, it's the NFL. Like it's it's awesome. And and uh, it's something that most of the players. Uh, I remember Fahu Tahi came back and he was telling me he's like just. Going there with low expectations and you'll come away happy. And I was like, "What do you mean? Like you, you know, you're getting paid to play football." And he's like, "Yeah, Harv, trust me. It's you know, it sounds great, but it's a business, and don't forget that." And I realized that the first time I had gotten released, and man, that was one of the hardest things to to swallow and and to go through. I was just talking to some of the players the other day. I remember my first time getting released. I had never been so angry in my life. Um, I, I had, you know, I was doing well in the season, and was doing everything that the coaches asked of me. And because some guys get hurt on defense, unfortunately, offensively, we we got to make cuts. And I was on the short end of the stick. And it was a, it was on a Saturday, Saturday morning. Um, I came in for our walkthroughs, and I seen a. They have a black bag in our locker. And I remember seeing the black bag. I'm like, I can't believe this This is happening. I walk up to the GM and he, uh, he's like, Hey, unfortunately, you know, we have some cuts we got to make. Defense guys are hurt. Uh, We, you know, it's not, you know, your talent or anything like that. We think you're good, but unfortunately, you know, it's, it's a numbers game and this is, this is how it goes. And I was like, all right. But deep down, I wanted to cuss the guy out and punch him in his face. (laughs) I was just so angry and, I remember calling my wife, and I was like, hey, uh, I'm going to be coming home early. She's like, what are you talking about? I was like, I just got released. And I remember, like, I was just so frustrated, and I was like, man, I I hope Green Bay picks me up and I want to play against these guys and blah, 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 saying the dumbest things because I was so angry. And then Sunday after the game, I get a call back from the GM and he says, "Hey, uh, we're gonna have you hold tight at the hotel, and uh, we're gonna bring you back on Monday as soon as you uh, clear waivers." <laughs> and my tone flipped. I'm like, "Oh, am so thank you so much. I appreciate it. I, I can't wait to come back and and you know just keep keep working hard." <laughs> um, it just, I mean, the emotions and just the mind games. It was it's taxing and it was rough and I hated it and it was it was totally the business. Yeah. Unless you're a, a vet or, you know, first-round draft pick, it's it's rough.
0: You told me earlier that you, you knew you wanted to be a coach at some point, and you are coaching now. You're a grad assistant coach here at BYU. Tell us about your responsibilities and, and your long-term objectives in this profession.
2: I, I get the opportunity to actually coach – uh, really any position on offense, um, and, and Coach Grimes uh, and even Ty, Co- Coach Demer before um, allowed me to work in, in various positions aside from running back, um, so I got to work with the offensive line one year. I worked with the wide receivers another year, and then um, I got to work with the running backs this year. Usually, you know, we're we're tagging game film, practice film, we're doing the scouting reports on our opponents, we're, you know, we're making cut-ups for you know, the coaches, the full-time coaches and, and, uh, any other players making playbooks, trying to do every, I guess the, all the behind the scenes jobs, mm-hmm. uh, the GAs, uh, they, they get the opportunity to do that and, and, um, really dive into coaching and, and understand it, um, you know, from, from the ground up. And it's, I mean, for me, it's been a, a huge blessing, uh, to, to kind of go this route, um, and, and, and learn, you know, what a grad assistant does and, and, Um, you know all the grunt work that we have to do it's it's to me it's 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 humbling because there's so many opportunities to serve but at the same time it's it's so gratifying because I'm I'm still coaching and still doing something that you know I want to do and obviously you know I'm just going to go on the progression you know I think there's a position uh, that I hope to gain next uh, you know at whatever college it may be and then from there Hopefully, become a coordinator someday, and then from from that get you know get to be a head coach somewhere, and and uh, just just keep going.
0: If you have to go somewhere else, would you like to come back to BYU someday too? Oh, I'd love to. Yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. I mean, th- for me, this this would be uh, the cherry on top. To, to you know to be able to kind of go out and and do my own thing and, and go wherever I need to go in order to progress, and then eventually you know i'd love to come back here this this would be a dream come true to come back and and coach here and be back at BYU
0: last couple things quickly how fired up are you about the backs and about this season coming up here
2: i'm ecstatic Co- coach stewart is he's a phenomenal coach and and i'm i'm just excited for you know everything that he's teaching these guys everything that he's doing with these guys they're amazing i'm 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 pumped we've got some great backs a lot of guys that you know are under the radar but then you know you've got some guys that have have been here um, and, and the team, especially these these get we have a special bunch of kids here. There's going to be a lot of uh, a lot of great things that are going to happen. I'm excited. Last thing. Shout out to your family. Uh my wife Kilani, I love her to death. She's uh I'm I'm still surprised she puts up with me. My kids, Jackson's the oldest, just turned eight. Layla, she's right under Jackson. Makai, he's uh kind of our I, I think he's gonna be our troubled child. And uh <laughs> we just had our, our fourth a month ago. Um Naomi is her name and uh Congrats. Yeah, appreciate it. Appreciate so family it. of six,
0: right? Yeah,
2: yeah. It's it's six and um, I'm aiming for a fifth so we can get our basketball team, but we'll, we'll see what the boss says.
0: Oh, man. Harvey, uh, we could keep going with this. We'll have more to talk about uh, on a future show, I think, somewhere down the line. Thanks for coming in. Appreciate you. Thank you. Great pleasure. When we come back, the running back who preceded Harvey Unga as a record setter at BYU. Curtis Brown coming up next on Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Thanks again to Harvey Unga. Curtis Brown next. Stay with us.
1: You're listening to Behind the Mic with Greg Rubel, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere.
0: And welcome back to Behind the Mic. Time now for our Catching Up with the Cougars segment, brought to you by BYU Alumni. BYU Alumni chapters help students in need and spread the influence of the Y around the world. Stay connected for good and find your chapter at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. Well, in its football history, BYU's had some great running backs. But before Curtis Brown arrived on campus, the Cougars had never had a back-to-back 1,000-yard back. And that's what Curtis turned in during his final two seasons in BYU, Blue, back in 2005 and 2006. Curtis got to BYU in 2002, the year after BYU went 12-2 and with a wild new offense keyed by Brandon Doman and Luke Staley. Curtis Brown came out of Palmdale, California after a heralded high school career, and was one of the players asked to help fill Staley's shoes in the backfield. After a freshman season in 2002 that included a 200-plus yard rushing night at Utah State, Curtis redshirted in 2003 for some surgery, then returned to action in 2004, the first of three straight seasons in which he led the Cougars in rushing yards. His junior and senior years were the first two years of the Bronco Mendenhall era, a 6-6 six and six campaign that saw the Cougars get back into a bowl game for the first time in four seasons, followed by an 11-2 and two season that finished with a bowl win over Oregon, which was Curtis Brown's final game in a BYU uniform. Over his years, I called touchdown Curtis Brown a total of 36 times, which stands fourth on the Cougars' all-time TD tally. He left BYU as the school's leader in rushing yards, rushing attempts, and 100-yard rushing games. And Curtis Brown joins me now behind the mic. Hello, Curtis. Hey, how's it going? Really, really well. Thanks for coming on. And uh, looking back in your life, you moved uh, to Palmdale, California. I mentioned Palmdale, north of Los Angeles, when you were about uh, 10 years old and, and, and pretty soon thereafter began playing football. But you began playing football in baseball shoes?
3: Yes, I don't even know if they this store still exists. It might still exist, but my parents, uh, not knowing the difference, me not even knowing the difference, we uh, went to pay less because I think my parents were kind of like, "We're not even sure if he's gonna like this sport." Um, and so ultimately, we found the shoe with the best deal, and it was uh, it, happened, it ended up being a, a, a baseball cleat. And I remember we were doing some conditioning at the end of practice and you know, running 50 yards and back and I kept on slipping and getting all frustrated. And, um, you know, sure enough coach came over and he looked at my cleats cause I was, I, I probably was in tears just because I kept on slipping. And I ended up showing up last. Um, and, uh, finally said, you need to get some new cleats. And I went home, took my cleats, threw them on the ground. I said, mom, I need, I need football cleats. These are baseball cleats. And, uh, Basically, she said, if you're going to get new cleats, then they, they better you better stick this out. There's no there's no turning back. And so that's what ended up happening.
0: Did you end up really loving football?
3: I did. I did. I I, I will tell you um, and and I share this open and honestly with obviously everybody listening on the radio station. I mean, I don't think there was one year where I didn't question whether it, I was I was fit to play. Um, and, and football is that kind of sport. It, it really tests you mentally, physically and emotionally. Um, and and for me, that was the thing: is that it, it got tougher every year. Uh, and while I had a lot of success and I was really good um, throughout my time in junior high, high school, and college, every year was was a new test, a new challenge, physically and emotionally. And um, yeah, I, I really had to just tell myself, yes, this is worth it. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of players can relate to that when you're going through summer conditioning or you're you're, you're beat up and your body's you know feels like it's all broken and you're trying to heal and you're just wondering is it worth it and once you do the rehab and get there get there physically and emotionally and spiritually then uh, it ends up being worth it.
0: You went to a private high school Uh, you guys won a lot of championships and you had a lot of recruiting interest uh, Pac-12 schools a lot of them and BYU what separated uh, BYU from those other schools even though at the time you were a non-LDS player?
3: Straight up it was a scholarship Uh, yes I received some interest Uh, early on from these are bigger schools but that interest kind of fell off pretty pretty quickly um, as uh, different schools were rounding up you know rounding off their their recruiting classes and I think um, you know I had an opportunity well at least I thought it was an opportunity to go to take a visit to Washington State and right before I was supposed to take my visit like the Tuesday before I'm expected to go I think the coach reached out to my mom and and shared with her that they had actually extended one too many scholarships. And so there would be no point in bringing me on a trip because they wouldn't have a scholarship for me. That, that, really, that really impacted me. And so when BYU came calling, they, they actually gave me a call the week later um, with an opportunity. I, I was all over it. And at that point in time, after going on my trip, coming home and thinking about it for a couple of days, I realized, you know what, this school never, never doubted me. They actually moved me up on the recruiting board, and they were willing to offer me a scholarship and and take a chance on a, a kid out of a small school in uh, Palmdale, California.
0: When you committed, I guess it would have been 2001 when things were flying pretty high for BYU, right?
3: Yes, I mean it doesn't hurt when you have uh, Luke Staley, the Dope Walker Award winner, you know, leave leave school right before you're you're asked, you know, offered a scholarship, and so that was something that I was I was proud to to, to talk about and speak about, and people are like why BYU, and I said, well, the running back the year before was just won the award for the best running back of the nation. So why not? Hmm. Um, and I, I think that along with, I remember the, the postcard that they have of their stadium, you know, a sold out stadium. Um, I mean, to me, that picture is worth a million dollars right there. It's, it's, it's priceless. It's just seeing that stadium and knowing that's a reality. I know a lot of schools will talk about their, their stadium, but then they're half filled. Um, and to me, Being part of BYU, whether we won or we didn't, we we still got a great attendance no matter what.
0: Once you either made your visit or got here for good, what was the vibe you got on the BYU campus?
3: It was special. Even on my recruiting trip, I remember walking up uh, the stairs to main campus from down by the Smithfield House and, you know, someone saying, hey, Curtis, great to have you at, you know, at BYU. And that happened a couple other times. And to me, it was, wow, you know, this— this community, uh, Provo, this city, they, they really take pride in, in the athletes that come through here. And I, I realized that that expanded not just within Provo, but throughout the state of Utah and then nationally um, across the world with BYU and the, the fan support. And to me, that was that was special to know that this was a special program and the fans took it seriously and they were invested and uh, it just felt it just felt right.
0: You got to play as a true freshman in 2002. Most of your rushing yards that year came in one game. It was a very memorable game up in Logan.
3: No, it was an opportunity of a lifetime. Um, you know, it was unfortunate, obviously, with Marcus Whalen going down with, a, a I believe it was a hamstring injury. Coming into the game, I, you know, prepped all week. But I never imagined, never expected, I don't even think our coaches expected us to, to run the ball as much as we did. Us rushing the ball 33 times, we probably weren't doing it that much prior to that game. I don't know. I mean, you, you look at halftime, we're down 34 to seven at, at half. And you would think that in that situation, we're definitely not going to be running the ball. But I think that's the one thing that uh, caught Utah state off guard. was our our running game being so effective, which forced the Utah state to make it a defensive adjustment to play more in the box, which opened up our passing game um, and allowed us to come back. And to me, it's what's more special. The most special thing about that is just the come from behind victory, you know, being able to score 28 unanswered points to to win, to to see the reaction on the fans' faces when they you know we came back and no one gave us a chance of coming back, and our fans stayed true and stayed loyal and cheered loud, and it, it was a great victory. And to me, that that game would mean nothing without the victory.
0: I remember calling that game 15 years ago. You ran for 217 yards. We got a glimpse of, of the player you were going to become, but then we had to wait to get a clearer picture of who you would become because uh, you sat out the 2003 season with some surgery.
3: And I don't even know if it even helped. ended up helping. So I, I had a, a an injury on my hand, a tendon issue on my hand in high school, my sophomore year in high school. And basically I did not have the confidence to carry the ball in my left hand. And so I knew that, obviously, if I wanted to become a more well-rounded back, I'd want to have that, that operation to have that tendon uh, transfer and so that I'd be able to regain use of my, my left ring finger. And, and so I decided to have the surgery just so I would be able to carry the ball in my left hand more confidently. Took that time to redshirt, and as I talked about before, you know, every year is a challenge to where you question, you know, sh- should I be playing football? Is this what I need to be doing? And that was a tough year for me. You know, losing weight because I wasn't able to lift my upper body, at least on my left hand, knowing that I was redshirting while we had four or five other running backs in the rotation, not knowing what to expect, what would happen my junior, senior year. I remember thinking, you know, do I need a transfer? And some things happened throughout that year that, uh, you know, guys leave on missions, people leaving the school and that group of five or six running backs that we used to have kind of went down to two. And and me and Fahu were, were the guys that uh, needed to step up um, after my redshirt year and, you know it, it was a tough year uh, we we did the best we could and um thankfully uh coach Minahal was able to to come in and turn the program around and get things going for us
0: 2003 2004 was around this time i mentioned you came to BYU as a non-lds player it was around this time you began looking into the church and ultimately uh joined the church before your uh, your 2004 season began is that right
3: yes um and and that's uh that's a uh strong tell of the the challenges that were, were going on where i was i felt lost My sophomore year, like I said, it was tough. Um, We talk about the physical aspects of football, emotional, and and even spiritual. And, you know, I just remember a conversation that I was having with my mom on the phone, and she had talked to me, you know, have you had a chance to go to church? You know, she said, how how are things going? You know, have you had a chance to go to church? I said, Mom, the only churches out here are are Mormon churches. And she said, you know what, that's fine. You know, church is church. And... And for me, that's when I uh, made the you know decision that, you know what, she's right. And it kind of felt like I got a, a green light from her to, to at least start going in that direction. I didn't realize how fast things would go once I did start attending uh, church. But uh, I, I'm grateful that things did go the way they did and that I was able to to make that decision to get baptized and become a member of uh, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints.
0: And that was in the the winter of 2004. And 2004 to 2006 became sort of maybe phase two of your BYU career. And that is maybe a good good place to jump off into break. And uh, when we come back, we'll talk more with Curtis Brown about his Bronco Mendenhall days and setting BYU records with some memorable moments. This is Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We are brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. More with former BYU running back Curtis Brown, coming up after this. Stay with us.
1: Welcome back to Behind the Mic, brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Here's your host, Craig Rubel. It is a record-setting running
0: back night here on Behind the Mic. In the first half hour, you heard from Harvey Unga, who followed Curtis Brown. We're now chatting with Curtis Brown who set records Harvey would break. We'll talk about that in a bit. Uh, and as we uh, come back into segment two here of our interview with uh, with Curtis, we're maybe talking about phase two of his BYU career in 2004 after a redshirt season in 03. It was a solid season, but it was also Gary Croton's last season as head coach. And then they brought in Bronco Mendenhall, who was elevated from defensive coordinator to head coach in 2005. And Curtis, you got to be with Bronco for your junior and senior seasons in 05 and 06. And 2005 kind of set the table for that special year in 2006. How do you look look back on your Bronco Mendenhall days.
3: Well, I will say that uh, my relationship started with, with Bronco Mendenhall started when I was redshirting. Uh, I had an opportunity at that point in time to be part of the scout team. If any of you, anyone's ever attended our practices with scout team, uh, at least back in Mendenhall's days, his first early days, I mean, scout team, it, it was not fun. I Bronco wanted his defense to be physical. He wanted them to be fast. He wanted them to sell out every single play. And there'd be times where we'd run a play and we'd have success with it. And Mendenhall would say, run the same play. And the offensive scout team would look at each other like, we're really going to run the exact same play. And sure enough, we'd get pummeled the the second time around. And it got to a point where uh, certain guys were maybe getting injured a little too often, so they wouldn't necessarily have to practice or whatnot. And I, I think for myself, it was more of a pride issue. Um, I had had an opportunity to play, um, before my, before red shirting. And I knew what that feeling was like. And I took pride in, I, I I knew that every single guy on the scout team would hopefully want to step on that official field and play one day. And so I kind of took the lead as the captain of that scout team and said, no, we're going to step up. We're going to play hard and we're going to do our best to, to, to go all out. And we challenged and we gave that, that scout team a run for their money. And that's why I kind of take pride in the success of the defense that year, because, that defense was incredible, they, his second year there. Um, and it's because of the pride that our scout team took. And and Mendenhall told me in that moment, and it was just a small conversation, he said, you know what, you're one of my guys. Um, and he meant that as you're not one of the offensive team guys, you're one of my guys on the defensive side. And to me, that was the greatest compliment that he could have ever paid me. Um, it was a conversation that I'll never forget. It's a moment I'll never forget. And that really shaped who I was as, as a runner. I wanted to be the hardest working. I wanted to have the same skills, talents, attitude that that defense, uh, you know, defense had in regards to the work ethic. And I think that's what helped carry me through my junior and senior year.
0: So in 2005 and 2006, you get a 6-6 six and six season followed by an 11-2 and two th- season. Things are really picking up. And for you personally, things are starting to happen. Uh, you went back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, and that was the first time it had ever happened at BYU and in that 2006 campaign Curtis you had a target uh Jamal Willis who by this time I'm sure was a friend of yours someone you knew well had the BYU record at just under 3,000 yards so no one had ever been over 3,000 for a career and Jamal held the career record and you were getting closer closer as the season got deeper and deeper right
3: yes and it was it was a little stressful because as much as we just want to focus on the success of the team and that's all that mattered um you know, you have different media outlets that are asking you how, you know, they're, they're updating you on all the stats and where you sit and where you stand and you don't want to think about it. And ultimately that's what the attitude was when coach and I first came on is he's like, he, we don't think about individual stats. We just think about the team goal and winning. And to me, that was something that I I really, I, I felt strongly about is that stay focused on the big goal, the big picture and, and everything else will fall into play. And, even at times when, you know, the, I remember the last couple of games left in the season, I'm thinking to myself like, dude, this record's so close. But at the end of the day, I had to remind myself, focus on the bigger picture. Um, and I, I just remember before the, you know, the New Mexico game, that was the game to break his, his record. And I remember Jake Cressa telling me, um, he's like, dude, y- you get the first series. I think I was maybe 40 yards away from the record. And he's like, you get, you get, the first series if you don't get in the first series we're not blocking for you anymore and he was kind of joking but i just remember being so funny like thinking about that and, and sure enough i was able to uh to break off like a 40 something yard run against new mexico and score a touchdown and i was able to put that record behind me um that you know jamal's record i remember him standing on the sideline and being one of the first guys to congratulate me um but then yeah that that back-to-back thousand yard rushing record was was still on the table and i knew utah is a tough defense and I knew they you know I couldn't even I didn't want to focus my goal was just to win that game so I wasn't going to focus on personal records or anything like that and thankfully we won and I think going into the, the Oregon bowl game I was probably 100 yards away and wasn't sure how that game was going to play out either and so literally I mean it came down to the last basically the last quarter of the last game of my college career to where that record was broken and and for me I think like at the end of the day, you just have to be, believe in the system, believe in your coaching, believe in you know have have faith in, in your play, you know your teammates and that that things will work out.
0: How does it feel then to have watched two more players, Harvey right after you and then Jamal Williams a little later on after that, and excel to an extent that your record became surpassed by two great running backs after you?
3: I was excited for it. yeah would it would it be great in one aspect to say you know I'm still a record leader in this or that or whatever? But then I'd be living in the past. Uh, for me, I, I think that's what my main goal was to to, to create change. Um, BYU was has been known as the quarterback factory for a long time, and there's nothing against that. But I think one of the things that I also wanted to you know help establish is that we are a balanced offense that we can recruit both receivers, quarterbacks, and running backs with solid offensive linemen that can run you know pass block and run block. And to me, it, it's no greater feeling have you know pass on the torch to two great men like harvey um and, and jamal williams i mean those guys two different types of guys but great individuals and and to me being able to pass the torch on to harvey for him to to do what he did in, in his three years at byu he's a great example to to many um I, i'm a huge fan of his uh think the world of him that guy has the, the best heart um Ever And so being able to have pass on to him to me, that's more important than anything else is if you're going to represent BYU, if you're going to be on the record books, you need to be somebody that um, people people want to be proud to, you know, to, to talk about. And, and Harvey's one of those guys. And for Jamal now, I mean, Jamal is just a crack up. He's just one of the most athletic, just physical. Spe- I mean, he is special. Um, I've said that from day one. Um, he is a special guy. And I, I think seeing his, 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 journey throughout BYU, um, even garners more respect. And I'm so proud that he is able to represent BYU the way he does. And he, he's, he, he's a stud. That's all I can say.
0: As we wrap up with you, Curtis, uh, let our, our listeners know where you are now and know what it is you're doing and what family life is like.
3: So family life for me, I'm, uh, living in Clovis, California. I'm about five miles away from Fresno state. Um, I have four beautiful kids, triplets, Cruz, Cash, and Julie. They just turned, well, they turned five in April. And then I have a four-year-old, just turned four in July, Trey. Um, even though he's the same size as the triplets, they, they <laughs> look like they could be quads. Um, my beautiful wife, Kimberly, and I have been living out here for the past five years. And we'll be uh, celebrating our 12-year anniversary on Sunday. So life is good. Working uh, in medical device right now for Stryker Orthopedic.
0: And uh, you're still repping the Cougs and following uh, BYU, right?
3: I try to as much as possible. I realize that uh, my, my TV time is, is cut short with with kids and cartoons mm-hmm. and PJ Max and all that other stuff. So I try to follow it as much as I can.
0: Curtis, it's good to, to talk with you once again. Such great memories of calling your greatest moments, and and thanks for joining us here tonight.
3: Well, Greg, thank you, and I thank you your your introduction. I mean, man, you make me want to put that on like a, uh, a job resume, post it on an Instagram, just. <laughs> Uh, you, you really made me feel special today and I'm really appreciative appreciative of the hard work you put into preparing for this interview and no, I'm excited for this upcoming year and excited for Kalani and what he he's trying to establish and, and the culture he's trying to build at, at BYU and hopefully uh you know, the players guys can get things figured out and, and we can find a way to get back to our winning ways.
0: Sounds good. Curtis, you deserve all the good words. Thanks again. Thank you. All right. Uh, Curtis was our guest in tonight's uh, Catching Up with the Cougar segment brought to you by BYU Alumni. Want to help BYU students but don't know how? You can with BYU Alumni Chapters. Find the chapter that fits you at alumni.byu.edu slash chapters. We're back to Say So Long on Behind the Mic right after this. Well, folks, that'll do it for Episode 2 on Season number 2 of Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel. We hope you enjoyed tonight's broadcast, whether listening live on BYU Radio or catching us on demand via BYUradio.org, the BYU Radio app, or the Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel podcast. My thanks to coordinating producer Terry South, associate producer Cole Wissinger, and of course to our guests Harvey Unga and Curtis Brown. Next Wednesday on Behind the Mic, it's tight end night. I'll visit with BYU tight ends coach Steve Clark and former BYU great Dennis Pitt. So in the meantime and in between time, this has been Behind the Mic with Greg Grubel on BYU Radio. Good night.
1: You have been listening to Behind the Mic with the voice of the Cougars, Greg Rubel. Brought to you by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Listen to the podcast at BYUradio.org.